This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. and friends gather this afternoon in disbelief. I just, I'm just in a state of shock. I really don't know what to say. Early this morning, just after 4 o'clock, 25-year-old Tara Tracy was found brutally wounded behind this cash register at the pantry. She died shortly after her arrival at the hospital. Unlike some convenience stores, the pantry doesn't have a surveillance camera to assist officers in investigation. Tara's mother-in-law says her death might have been prevented if the store was better equipped for safety. I think they should have security in the stores and better lighting and uh, at least a button, something, something you could, you know, go to for help. Ms. Scarborough works nights at the Scotchman just down the road. She says she won't return. I'm just scared. And if I go back to work, I know that I'm there alone. And what am I going to be thinking of when my daughter-in-law just got murdered? Tara's mother says she should have never had to work alone. During the holidays, no store should have clerks working in it without several people, not just one person. There should be several people because the stocking happened to be away from the counter. Now the family is forced to spend Christmas without their loved one, who they say enjoyed this holiday the most. It's just a tragic thing. It's holidays. It's my grandson's birthday. And isn't this a terrible way to spend his birthday and spend Christmas? 14 years ago, a mother of four was murdered in Castlehane. It happened on Christmas Eve, 1999. Well, her killer is still out there. And tonight, we're taking a closer look at the case. They took a mother, a mother I'm gonna get emotional. Although Ethel Griman lost her niece 14 years ago, sometimes the loss feels so fresh. They take a mother from her children, and that was wrong, and we can't get that back. Tara Tracy, taken away from her four children and her husband at the age of 25. Her mother still has a hard time accepting that she's gone. I feel like she's really not deceased. I feel like she's just away. And it's, some days is better than others. On the last day of Tara's life, she celebrated her son's seventh birthday and then went to work. Today, there's a CVS pharmacy where Tara's home used to be. And she used to work just right across the street here at this gas station in Castle Hayne. Back then, it was called the pantry. It was a job that helped her support her family. The reason she chose, got that job and chose that job was because it was convenient. Because she lived right across the street, she could walk to work. She didn't have to worry about transportation. Her husband was home from his job, so he could be at home at night with the kids. But just feet from her home, someone took her life. A customer stopped by the pantry around 3.15. An hour later, another customer found Tara dead. By all accounts, the attack was brutal. She was stabbed multiple times with a sharp object. Cuts and defensive wounds on her hands revealed that Tara fought for her life. You know, I 
unfortunately got to see her like she was. And it's hard for me to fathom that there's someone out there that cruel. I can't even imagine what she must have gone through. In this file video, you can see investigators combing the pantry for evidence. Her family believes whoever did it knew Tara because her keys were found in the door, indicating she let someone inside the locked door. She opened the door for someone. She wouldn't open the door to a stranger. She had no idea that when she went to work that evening that she wouldn't be coming home. She fought for her life, and I'm sure that what was running through her mind was her kids. The loss made even greater for her mother, Janice Hamilton, because since Tara's death, she's lost touch with her grandkids. And she says it's time to find the person who took away her family. And I, I still believe that there's someone out there that really knows. And I hope they have a heart because mine has been torn in pieces. New Hanover County Detective Ken Murphy is piecing together the evidence in this cold case. Somebody is living with this and it must take, I would say a monster to be able to live with this on their conscience. Murphy says they are constantly revisiting this case file. It's one he keeps close to his desk in his office. After recently taking another look at the file, he says there are a few persons of interest who investigators want to talk to. But he says they need someone to come forward to help them crack this case. We've had some success with cold cases where you get a phone call out of the blue. And that's all it, that's all it takes. We're just too close after 14 years. Close and still pushing for the day when they can finally get justice. They need to know that we're not going to give up. No. We're never going to give up. Not ever. Someday I don't want to come face to face with them. Well, Tara put up such a fight that it's hard to imagine the person who did this walked away unscathed. So Tara's family is asking you to think back to Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, 1999. Did you see someone who looked like they got into a fight? If so, you may be able to help investigators. If you have any information, call Crime Stoppers at 1 800 531 9845. You sent me something. This is one of those weird things where I tried to track down something you were talking about, but then even though I was trying to track it down, I ended up finding another thing that looked really similar to it. So the one that I wanted to talk about briefly here, it, it's had a bunch of articles come up. This is a December 24th, 1999 murder. It's out of Wilmington, North Carolina. It's actually out of Castle Haines. Um, and I don't I don't know if you realize this or not. Do, do you realize the location of this murder is the pantry? This is the murder of Tara Tracy. The 1999 Christmas Eve murder still unsolved from, looks like you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What lies beyond? Okay. Yeah. yeah, that one. Yeah, so you've been looking through this. Do you realize where that is? That's what I was asking you. Oh, um, I, I don't think so. So where I got married and where you turn to go through the Jurassic, Jurassic Park gates to go down there, this mm. was the pantry at the top of that. Oh, really? Yeah. That's this, no, I didn't realize that at all. I was actually, I was wondering, uh, do you have any idea if there was anything uh, further 
Like I, I pulled up a f- I, I pulled up several different things related to this. It doesn't get a lot of coverage, which I thought was pretty weird. Okay, so let's tell people about this. Tara Tracy was 25 years old. She was working at a pantry uh, convenience store and gas station in Castlehane, North Carolina. Her family still talks about this, by the way. On the last day of her life, Tracy celebrated her son's seventh birthday and then clocked into work at the pantry on Castlehane Road. Tracy lived across the street from the gas station and convenience store with her husband, Paul, and their four children. The reason that she got that job and chose it because it was convenient, said Janice Hamilton, who's Tracy's mother. She lived right across the street. She could walk to work. She didn't have to worry about transportation. Her husband was home from his job so he could be at home at night with the kids. She never felt unsafe at the store because of how close it was to her home. But just feet from her front door, someone took her life. A customer stopped by the pantry around 3.15 a.m. An hour later, another customer found Tracy dead. The attack was brutal. According to the autopsy report, Tracy was stabbed multiple times in the head and five times in the chest, hitting her heart and lungs. Cuts and defensive wounds on her hands revealed that Tracy fought for her life. The cause of death was determined to be the trauma to her head with the stab wounds to her chest acting as contributing factors. Um, her sister, or her, excuse me, her mom's sister, Ethel Grayman, said, I unfortunately got to see her the way she was, and it's hard for me to fathom that someone out there is so cruel. I can't even imagine what she must have gone through. But she had no idea that when she went to work that evening, she wouldn't be coming home. Uh, Janice Hamilton said she fought for her life, and I'm sure what was running through her mind was her children. Hamilton believes the killer was someone who Tracy knew, given that Tracy's keys were found in the door, indicating to Hamilton that she let someone into the locked store. She opened the door for someone, Hamilton said. She wouldn't open the door to a stranger. The killer took less than $50 from the cash register. Just 16 months after Tracy's murder, Hamilton lost her other daughter, who was killed by a drunk driver on Memorial Day. Of coping with the untimely deaths of both of her daughters, Hamilton said, some days are better than others. She said her two sons helped her to keep going. The loss of Tracy was made even greater for Hamilton because she said since her death, she's lost touch with her four grandchildren. After the murder, Tracy's husband moved from Castle Hain to Jacksonville. They didn't just take my daughter, she said. They took my family and my grandchildren. I actually lost five. The Tracy case is right next to Detective Ken Murphy's desk, along with boxes that contain the files of seven other cold case murders in New Hanover County. Murphy said he is constantly revisiting the case file, hoping to find the one clue that will help crack the case after all these years. After taking another look at the file, he said there are a few more persons of interest whom he would like to follow up with. However, he feels like it's going to take someone coming forward with information to find Tracy's killer. We've had some success with cold cases because you get a call out of the blue and that's all it takes. Murphy would elaborate on the evidence in this case. He wouldn't even disclose the murder weapon because he believes it's a key piece of evidence. Hamilton and Grayman are confident that Tara's killer will be caught. They need to know we're not going to give up, said Grayman. We're we're never going to give up. I want to come face to face with them, Hamilton added, saying she hopes someone will come forward with information on the case. I still believe that there's someone out there that really knows, and I hope they have a heart because mine has been torn to pieces. Uh, there's a $30,000 reward by Pantry in this case. They don't have an official record of the reward for the information, apparently, but uh, 
when while it is null at the time, the thoughts still remain with the family. That's in 2014. This is from a local news station, WECT uh, six. That's an NBC News affiliate. That's the source that I was I was just sort of pulling from. There, this case is one of those that it pops up and people talk about it, but they don't talk about it seriously. It's honestly one that, like, I think a really good true crime podcaster could dig into and make a, a, a season out of just going down there and talking to the people that are still alive. The family is very active. The, the couple of the detectives regularly talk on the news media, even as frequently as this year, you know, it comes up every year. It's, it's a really, really crazy and unfortunate case. But I, yeah, I found quite a few articles about it. Like, what were you thinking when you looked at it? That it was a Christmas case, basically. That's all I really thought of. Uh, I did remember the other stuff I was sending you. I think that they, at least the initial investigator, so this was in 1999, so that would be 22 years ago. And she was 25 at the time. So she would be 47 now. She's still alive. Just to sort of put that in perspective. I have a feeling this is one of those cases where the reason it is, you know, not in any sort of spotlight and it comes up occasionally and then it just sort of cycles through and it's, you know, forgotten again. They probably have a pretty good idea of who did it. They just don't have the evidence to prove it. Looking at it, I could see that. I, I don't know um, if I... I have a I, pretty good idea of who did it. You do? Yeah. But I don't know that I want to say anything. No, no, no. You don't have to say it right now. I So... I could see a version of that, if that makes sense. But I could also see, I could also see how it could be random or, um, or yeah, seem random. I well, and I think the whole point was for it to seem random. But uh, yeah, it to me. I'm trying to think. So 1999, it's weird. Uh, I don't know. They had no surveillance, obviously, I guess. Yeah, right? there were, no, there's no surveillance, but they did find evidence of a third-party vehicle, which is, that's what made me rule out the husband, was the, the third-party vehicle being there. And they had a record of customers coming and going prior to a customer finding her dead. I understand that I saw about the vehicle, and I would imagine that a uh, convenience store gas station would have a plethora of of vehicles that would sort of go through the parking lot at any given time. And so, you know, if I would say that it would be just as relevant as it is irrelevant, <laughs> unless there's more information. Ah, uh, it's a weird thing for somebody who is stealing $50 uh, to then, now they, they won't release, they haven't released the weapon, but it's indicated she was stabbed. Beaten and stabbed, and they have not specified, I think, I think when they say that, they're not specifying what type of knife. I think they know. Well, I, I, I think they know what the weapon was. They, they say that they're not going to say what the weapon is because they feel like it's relevant. Yeah, I think it's a K-bar. And so what is that? So, uh, so a K-bar is a, um, it's a specific weapon. 
it, it's issued by the United States Marine Corps. It's a seven inch knife, fixed blade. Uh, I think some people might think of the like the the Rambo knives. You know what I mean when I say Rambo knives? The black knives that have a little kit in the end. It's it's that shape knife. I'm I'm pretty sure that you would find that it would be a K bar because that's a, that's something that's easy to it, where this took place based on the relevance to everything that went on here, I think that's what the weapon is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually think if that is the weapon, I I think the suspect list is like you said, very small. And so I'm speculating just to throw that out there. Right. Well, and so here's, here's what I'm getting at. I have no idea what the weapon is. Uh, I just know they said she had stab wounds, but declined to say i assume the weapon was left there if they know but they feel like that's going to be something that only the perpetrator would know or you know it's a revelation point of the case however it's 22 years later i feel like a lot of times when things are sort of put out there like for example the third party vehicle uh, i don't know what the account of that is they just the investigators determined there was a vehicle to me that makes it mutually exclusive to possibilities, right? In other words, if there's a third-party vehicle there, you wouldn't expect somebody that didn't drive there to have done it, right? And I feel like those can be, like, well-intentioned, though not necessarily relevant uh, pieces of the puzzle, right? I don't know what the basis for saying that was. Um, but, you know, it's a pantry that has a uh, at least one gas island, right? Yeah, well, it's so it, the building is in the shape of a pantry, but technically it's a BP now. And where their house was across the street is a drugstore. But, yeah, it, it had a uh, would have had the single gas island. I don't know if you do you know what I mean I when I say the shape of a pantry? Yeah, it's like a box. Yeah, it's like a little box with a specific type exactly of exactly what a pantry is. Yeah. So my point is, somebody that's going to go rob a pantry, okay, uh, they're, for one thing, I am confused a little bit by, they said that she unlocked the door and let them in, so was the pantry open or not? Yeah, it was open, but they locked the doors late at night. Okay, so she, and but then they go on to say that it had to have been somebody she knew because she wouldn't have let somebody she didn't know in. That's just her mom talking. I don't think that necessarily applies. So anyway, that was confusing to me. It also goes to show you... I'm, and I'm trying to think back, like, would somebody think that there were cameras at the pantry? I don't know. In 1999, I just can't make that call. But I would say that the injury she suffered, uh, it that is not something you're going to do to somebody for 50 bucks. I'd say that a unfortunate purchase of a gun could result in something like that. But... <laughs> Um, like somebody that, I mean, okay, here's my point. It's really easy to pull a trigger of a gun if you're in the position that you're going to rob. That's why like armed robbery is such a, it's a, it's a higher level of an offense than just, you know, an unarmed robbery, right? Because a, to shoot somebody, I mean, it's cold hearted and bad, but like, as far as physically speaking, it takes very little effort to pull a trigger. Okay. In this case, her injuries that you described, 
it's somebody like having a physical altercation with something sharp that ends up cutting her face and fingers. And it's a whole lot more than she's going to instigate for $50. And that somebody who is just there to rob the place is going to instigate to get away with the money. I feel like. Okay. And I feel like just my, my personal opinion is if you look through legitimate robberies that result in death, okay, usually the person is shot, who, it, whether it's the uh, robber or the victim. There's not a whole lot of th- this kind of stabbing that occurs. And what I mean by that is, like, she fought with the knife and she had injuries on her face. It. I don't feel like she got stabbed in the heart. I mean, did it say anything about that? I didn't, I was not, I was pulling from a summary. Well, I mean, because, okay. And let's say in a robbery gone bad, you don't, you're not uh, struggling. It's a very, for one thing, you just leave. I don't know if I'm making sense. I've just been rambling now at this point, but uh, basically it's, not the kind of crime where you want to be hands-on like that for the amount of time it would have taken. I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, this, so, all right, this little area, there are several gas stations. There's a BP, Kangaroo Express. Like, it's relatively close to a highway, but it's not really as close as you think with the way the cops described it. Mm-hmm. I so this is a case that's been on my list where I reached out to uh, just sort of see what the status of the case was. I was told that there could potentially be some cooperation by the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office on covering it more in depth. But this is something interesting that they said about it. They said that in August of 2009, 10 years after it happened, a person made contact with the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office and they would like to speak to that person. They've repeated this tip a couple of times. Um, they want to, whatever tip came in, they want to go back and revisit it. And I got the impression maybe it was from someone who had like direct knowledge. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, they don't go so far as to, to give a lot of details about, what happened here when I looked at the autopsy report and like the summary of it, they focus on the, the defensive wounds. Um, and I think you had sent me something from like these boards, the, uh, what's beyond maybe, or what lies beyond. I think it was a forum type board. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd looked there and I looked on web sleuths and there's just, I hate saying stuff like this, but I'm going to say it anyways. She was stabbed in the the head, the chest, the torso. They don't specify what. I could potentially get the autopsy report on this if you wanted to dig into it more. I didn't really think of that for the Christmas episodes because they're kind of shorter form. But I think this case kind of gets ignored because she was poor. And I wondered if it wasn't a matter. Like, I wondered if they have the evidence sitting there and don't realize it. And they're not really going to run anything related to it 
because there's nobody pressuring because the family's cooperating and talking, but they don't strike me as necessarily knowing what to say. There's this whole thing online where I found another case similar to this uh, that was also pretty much ignored and it had a smaller reward on it, but it was also a pantry robbery. And I realized like, first of all, they're, they're not related in any way, shape, form or fashion that I can tell. Second of all, it's like they, the cashiers, I don't know, man. It's all, you know how we talk about things where people say, Oh, it's, um, this would be a Prostitute? gas station. Yeah, yeah. This would be a gas station clerk murder. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. 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 So this is like somebody like, okay, it's not a drug dealer. It's not a prostitute, but it's someone who's living a lifestyle that puts them at risk because of their job. Right. But, uh, she has a perfectly, what sounded like to me, logical reason for why she had that particular job. Uh, to me, that didn't impact. I mean, yeah, I know you don't make a whole lot of money being a pantry clerk, but the fact that, uh, you know, it worked out that she could be home with her kids and I'm like, just I don't, saying maybe that influenced the way that they've investigated this case. I have no idea. I just feel like, I feel like, this was not a botched robbery. Well, okay. So I, I'm going to do something rare here because I, I don't like to get into doing this, but I'm going to because it's Christmas and I can't. So I went on, I think, you know, uh, I spent a lot of times on web sleuths over the years. I don't really interact on any of the other places, but on web sleuths, I have an account that is very old and like has a lot of uh, interaction with longtime accounts. I went on there to try and read about this, and they had a couple of articles that were newer. But back in October, I think of 2020, if it's 2021, then I'm just wrong, whatever. They started talking about this case briefly. And, and this is the article that came up. This is from the Star News online. Uh, title is, this is from 2008. So my point is somebody brought this article up way later. This is from Jim Ware. It's from April 27, 2008 from the Star News Online. And the title is Cold Case, Relatives Wait Eight Years for Answers in Murder of Castle Hayne Mom. Almost every day for eight years, Tara Tracy's Aunt Ethel has called the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office to talk to detectives investigating Tracy's murder. I don't give them a week to forget, says Griman, who lives in Havelock, North Carolina. In those eight years, a string of detectives have followed the case. The latest is Sergeant John Leonard, who says the investigation is ongoing. While Griman calls and Leonard investigates, Tracy's mother, Janice Hamilton of Atlantic, North Carolina, waits for her phone to ring and bring word of a break in the case. I live on hope every day of finding something out. About 30 miles away in Beaufort, a Cherokee medicine woman also waits for investigators to arrest the man she says killed Tracy, a man she says she sketched. After talking with an angel, Tara was present in her guidance and what she said, says Anne White, whom some call a psychic. I've never given up on Tara. It was Christmas Eve, 1999. Tracy had just celebrated her son Paul's seventh birthday. They went across the street from her home to work. She went across the street from her home to work as a night clerk at the pantry convenience store. Tracy worked nights so her husband, Paul Tracy, who worked days, could watch their four kids. It was the first job for the high school dropout who was a mother at 17. She would be 34. She was alive today. This is back in 2008. 
A family friend saw Tracy alive and well in the store about 3.15 a.m. About an hour later at 4.20 a.m., a customer went into the store. He saw the cash register open on the floor and Tracy lying behind the counter. That account says customer. Another account that I read said that it was the flowers bread delivery man. Right, I felt that. And I believe it's the bread delivery man because I that has been my experience with them is they come in very early in the day to to switch out their vendor route stuff. She was unconscious and she suffered multiple traumas to her body. She'd been beaten and stabbed and left for dead. That person called 911. An ambulance took her to New Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington. She was pronounced dead. Captain David Smithy, who was head of the investigation unit at the sheriff's office at the time, said it looked as if there had been a, a struggle. She tried to defend herself. Relatives criticized the owners of the store for not having security cameras and for having Tracy work alone at night. The company said there were safety procedures to protect employees, but did not divulge them. And this is related to having the door locked and letting people in and letting them use the gas island. Because even back then, you could use the little cart at the island. That seems right, yeah. After Tracy's killing, the pantry offered a $30,000 reward. This is for information leading to the arrest and conviction. Crime Stoppers offers a $5,000 reward for the same information. At the time in 2008, the award the reward was still open. It's not open today. Uh, Tracy's husband and children almost immediately moved away from their Castle Hain home, uh, which was only two doors away from where Tara Tracy was killed. Paul Tracy told a reporter in 1999, I'm leaving this house. I can't stay here. The pantry's still there uh, in 2008. It is not now. The Tracy's house is gone, replaced by a CVS pharmacy. And Paul Tracy later remarried, Hamilton says. He and his three sons, who at the time were in high school, uh, live near Jacksonville. I thought she had four kids. Other than a chance encounter with the Tracy's oldest child, a daughter who graduated from high school last year and now lives on her own, Janice Hamilton hasn't seen much of Tara and Paul's children since the murder. She says it's really been rough not seeing the grandchildren. She does have four kids. The oldest daughter graduated from high school in 2007. So at this time, the three boys are in high school. That's in 2008. The daughter graduated from high school and she moved on. I see. Uh, and this, they talk a little bit about uh, uh, Janice Hamilton's other daughter, who was Lindsay Ozimuk. She died 17 months later in a car crash, which was caused by a drunk driver. Um, and another woman died as well. And then we've got this whole psychic thing that goes down. They get really deep into this, and I'm not going to do that here. In 2008, the present day, uh, the killer is brought up by the psychic. And they go back and forth on here talking about this, saying that this cold case is never closed and there's all these things they're going to do, but they really don't do anything about it. So this is what was interesting. A user named Merge18 pops up on October 28, 2020 on Web and said, this is my mother. I've been searching and searching for anything that will help me put this all together. It's been long enough and I feel in my bones that something will come up or someone will slip up. It won't be long, I hope. My opinion, Merge 18 is the daughter. So people go on and say, welcome the web sleuths. Uh, Another person responds and says, I knew it was a Friday before I even looked. Um, Not to sound weird, they said some cigarettes may have been taken. What that would have been discovered when a clerk did the check thing at the beginning of their shift, they would know which ones were missing. They start asking questions of this Merge 18. 
they sort of chime back in and a username perhaps it's you says if the weapon was a strange one i think robbery wasn't the motive which is back to what you were saying lucky's mom who's someone i've interacted with over the years says glad you found it here let us know if you need help you have a great bunch of people here and then someone who pops on and only makes a couple posts says i remember this well i worked with tara's best friend s i was out of town over christmas and when i returned to work s pulled me aside and told me about tara's murder less than a month later she moved in with her best friend what Paul and the kids, and she was pregnant by Paul. Not long after that, they got married. Mm -hmm. And then the best friend, S, lost the baby. I'm not sure how long they stayed married. I lost track of her after she quit. I hate to upset Tara's children, but I truly believe Tara's husband killed her. I spoke to detectives about what I knew firsthand. I shared my suspicions several years ago, not anonymously. I think about Tara and the kids all the time. I'm glad to see that her daughter is not giving up on finding her killer. Uh, then, So then the family member that says they're one of Tara's children chimes back in and says, who are you? Did you work with S at PetSmart? Another person chimes in. Uh, this person is LNMN2013. Not sure of your source for this information, but you've got it backwards as a child of Paul Tracy, my father, no way. If you do a fact check, you come up with that. There was DNA all over my mom's body from cuts, scrapes, etc. My dad was one of the first to be tested. He had no scratches or cuts and his DNA didn't match that which was on the body. And then he says, I'd like to know the name of who wrote this because obviously you didn't want to come out and tell us who you were. Merge comes back and says, I will never give up, but I can tell you this. It wasn't my father. Because whoever killed my mother, she whooped their ass. Mom had DNA under her fingernails. And my father has passed every test under the sun, not to mention didn't have a mark on him. I think it's pretty fucked up to say that. Fucked up is starred out. And it's fucked up on, and they name the person that they were talking about above, who is the new wife of the widower makes sense yep uh but on on their behalf to tell you that all this while trying to take on my mother's role which never quite was accomplished because no one could have taken her place why would she get a man she claims did these things then turn around and have a baby with him that's some psycho ass shit if you ask me but please by all means if you have some info and aren't afraid to say it or your name please do because i'd love to know I won't keep my mouth shut any longer, but you can't come on a public forum responding to the daughter of a woman who was murdered and state that you were told by her best friend, which is complete bullshit, they were far from friends, that her husband, my dad, did it. That's not cool. Uh, I just want to clarify and make sure I understand this. Is this two of the children talking here? There's one message from who appears to be one of the sons, multiple messages from who is claiming to be the daughter. So then the daughter comes back around Christmas time and says, I wasn't trying to be rude in my last post. It just hit me wrong. I apologize, but I really like to know who you are, even if it's not up here. It's just that time of year again. I have four kids of my own. If something like this ever happened to me, I would want my kids and husband. I would never want my kids or husband to stop 
uh, searching for answers. Okay. And then they leave another message that says, okay, so I noticed this person has been up here since my last post, but doesn't acknowledge it. You can send me a direct message. If you don't have anything to say here on the public forum, kind of like you did when you said after knowing I was their daughter and still proceeding to say that you thought my father was her killer. Just a thought, unless you actually are trying to uh, be anonymous. I'm bringing this up because I have this question all the time. First of all, I don't know that any of this is real. Just stating that. But one of the things that's interesting about this is I am always curious what the family members think of what's going on on places like web sleuths, et cetera. That makes it a little too personal for me. I don't, I did not get involved in this. I found this. Well, I will, you... I will say this. Okay. I, I would buy now he, them saying that there's DNA everywhere. I would say, get that on over to CC more. <laughs> okay. I would be most interested in knowing, uh, if the DNA is male or female. I'm just curious why, what did, do you have a suspicion other than these people's idea that it's the husband? I've never said it. I never said who I thought it was. I just said, I feel like they have an idea of who it is. But I'm saying you have a suspicion other than the husband. Based on what you just said. Yes. Interesting. Do you not? I, I don't know if any of this is real. Because I would, I would. This is a rabbit hole for me. Well, I don't. I understand that. However, I also feel like a lot of fake things don't go that way. <laughs> okay. Like if you're going to troll, it, that would be a weird way to do it. Uh, either one of them. However, I would absolutely say, like I had found... It seemed like an article that just was reposted every five or 10 years or something. And it was like a, I guess it was the autopsy report, but it was just like some parts of it and and it showed the injuries. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about or should I find it and send it to you? Uh, hold on a second. I, I'm just trying to picture it. It's a picture of, is it like the head from the drawing? It's a drawing, and it's the head and the hands, and it just shows. Mm. I, I went ahead and sent it over to you. Um, because to me, that could absolutely be what some would refer to as a cat bite. So you're curious if the DNA under the fingernails is male or female. Huh. Right, and I, and I just want to point out, I'm not, I'm not assigning blame to anybody here. Um, what I am saying, though, is uh, I feel like, it it doesn't necessarily have to be like the most obvious suspect. In this case, the most obvious suspect would be the husband because of the proximity to the uh, to where she was killed, and because it usually is the partner of the person who dies. But all my comment was earlier was that the reason that this this case sort of fades and cycles through and it hasn't been, uh, you know, made a big deal out of is because I feel like it's one of those cases that they know who, at least the initial investigators know who did it, but have absolutely no way of proving it. And so, you know, whoever that source, uh, whoever that subject of them knowing who did it, 
it could be anybody, really. I mean, the, I assume the inve- I know the investigators would know who it was, but that tends to be the case in cases that don't have a lot of traction. And we've talked about this on the show before. It's like cases that are solved, but justice hasn't been served. Because if they have a good idea who the perpetrator was, they aren't going to use the resources that I imagine this, you know, small town in North Carolina has to hunt for, you know, a killer that they already know who it was. They just know that there's only so much information available. Now, it seems to me like they need to get a genetic DNA profile done based on the DNA found. And it sounds to me like they've actually, if they've excluded the husband based on DNA, like was mentioned on web sleuths, which again, we're going to take that, you know, for what it is source wise. I mean, it's either true or it's not, but if they've already excluded him DNA wise, that means that there is a DNA profile available. And really all they have to do is upload the DNA profile from what was uh, found on her body into GEDmatch and see what hits they can get. Hmm. And then they can build the forensic genealogy profile, find the nearest relative that it hits on, and go from there. Now, uh, I say all that... <laughs> And, you know, a lot of times the devil in the details really falls apart here because if they had run DNA off of her body, they would know if they were looking for a male or a female, right? I've never seen that mentioned in any of the sort of redundant press that this case does get. Have you ever seen it? No, I... I um. I am now thinking about ordering the autopsy on this case because of our conversation that we're having, not because of the coverage of the case, because I'm, I'm totally curious if, if that's a holdback or if it's a detail you could maybe pick up on based on what they say in the autopsy report. Uh, Um, I would, I feel like, I don't know if you want to or not, but uh, based on what you were telling me, I would strongly suggest uh, advising. Now, you said it was 2020 that the forum. This conversation like, has been taking place last year. Um, that okay. the, what I was reading from there. My interest in this case is brand new. Um, okay. Well, I, all I was going to say is uh, that person, it sounds like, is is a relative. I mean, if they're trolling, that's a really dumb way to troll. But, um, you know, if it's legitimate, they need to uh, they need to use the DNA that was on her body to find the, the perpetrator. Well, so I messaged her just to see if they would talk to me. I mean, it, it clearly states that I've been a member there since like the first day that website was created. So hopefully, yeah. uh, I just said, uh, you know, if you have a moment, I, I might like to talk to you just to see if they respond or not. I I don't like getting into the, uh, this is the, it's the worst thing in the world for me to get into a situation where I'm talking to a family member. 
I understand that. And I'm not, I mean, but the other part of that is if you have someone posting on a public forum that you come across, I mean, you're not seeking them out. They put it out there. Yeah. And so that's different. And, but anyway, the solution to this case lies in the fact that in the words you read, which are, there was DNA all over my mother's body. Yeah. She whooped their ass. Okay. Yeah, that's if that's said. real, then I'm interested from the perspective of like, is there something I can suggest? But see, I don't want to suggest it to the family. That's what I'm. That's why I'm talking to you about this because this isn't a thing where I'm like, oh, I want to go tell the family to do this, this, and this. I want to go find out if there's a resource. With, All you like, need to do is get the. We just need the DNA profile, and then we need to compare it on GEDmatch. That's what needs to happen there. That's it. Yeah, so North Carolina is a place that I have some connection to, and I could probably get. I don't know how that works. I I, feel like they probably should have already uploaded it to GEDmatch, but it doesn't sound like a lot of that's happening here. Well, I'm wondering if they even understand they can do that. I'm not entirely certain. For one thing, if if a DNA profile had been run, I feel like there are certain things that are gleaned from DNA. And I'm saying this, and even as I'm saying it, I'm not sure that I'm correct, but it just seems like that would eliminate the gender of the perpetrator uh, being need to know, right? Cause they would know what it was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a very quick, I, I feel like you can have very little DNA and determine the sex of, or the gender of the, the origin of the DNA. And so because of that, uh, that would make me go one way or the other. But because none of that has been really, I mean, this is not a fresh case. This is a 22-year-old case. So saying what the murder weapon was, like, I get that they withheld it to begin with, but I that's not even relevant now. Well, so if it's something like a K-bar, they're saying it's just something you don't see every day. I picture a K-bar, but if it's something real crazy, they may have a reason for doing that. I don't know if this is a sophisticated enough. Okay, but at this point, though. I'm with you. I'm not. Okay. I'm, just, I'm just providing conversation know, at this point. I'm, I don't know what the point in time it, it becomes a thing where withholding the uh, any information on a case becomes irrelevant because the case isn't solved. Um, you know, they don't want possibly- to pitch the weapon, or they don't want looky loose coming along confessing to things they didn't do. Okay, but I feel like that would be better than it continuing the next twenty two years being unsolved. I'm with you on that. I just I feel like at some point uh, the reason for withholding the evidence becomes moot. It just doesn't matter anymore. Uh, I believe that you've talked about several like ancient cases, <laughs> and when I mean say ancient, I mean you know thirty, forty years old. And we talked about know, something from 1881. No, no, no. I'm talking <laughs> about specifically withholding uh, details I, I of a case. And so at some point, the benefit of doing that it doesn't matter anymore because if putting it out there and it triggering a tip, which it probably won't do that anyway. So it doesn't really matter, but there's just no point in holding back evidence 
in hopes of a conviction when you're talking about a case that's 22 years old and has no new tips. Well, so for run-of-the-mill stuff, it's about a year that the information is, uh, like, should some information should be held back. And when I say run-of-the-mill stuff, I mean, like, the sex of the perpetrator, whether or not there's DNA at the scene, cause of death, manner of death, those type things. But, I mean, manner of death is obviously homicide if you're looking for a suspect, but the cause of death can be held back. I, I'd say a year. Three years if you have a pretty unique item. Five years if you have something batshit crazy going on that's an ace in the hole. Like, you really just need... Like, if, if you have someone that has done something so bizarre that you will eventually find them, then you can hold that back. But like everything else, the murder weapon, pretty much everything we've talked about related to this case, it should be out by like three years, definitely by five years. 22 years is unacceptable. Like I can't even find a mention of DNA at the scene from what I'm reading here. And that's one of the reasons I reached out and I want to say something to the family member, simply because there's a chance that like sometimes you can go with, talking to the people who have a reward available or a cold case unit that's a step above. In this instance, you have a, I don't think you're going to have a small town police force. I think it's just the sheriff's office. So you could potentially get the SBI to assist the sheriff's office and you could broach it in a way that it seems like cooperation and you could get some, potentially you could get a test or maybe two tests done. You can't go hog wild. So you got to know what you're looking for. Because people, like, DNA labs are backed up, and it costs money right now. We're just getting to that point that you described where the technology is almost so cheap that, like, if you had the DNA profile and you being Meg, and, like, you could, like, take the file that shows what the DNA profile looks like and upload it on the GEDNAT, you could almost do it yourself for nothing. I mean, there's still If they've already, if the, if the... Father has been eliminated through DNA. They made the profile, the profile should be in the file of the case. My problem is I'm not entirely certain that everybody talking about it in that particular environment is 100% informed. I'm trying to I let think, that part just like be okay at the moment. Like say say there's Well, it's fine with me. Say it's accurate care. that there's DNA information. Well, I mean sure. Uh, like that would be a night. That would be a cool Christmas gift for somebody to get, where you can you actually have like this file available that if you know how to ask for it, you can get it through public record. I, I I don't know how any of that stuff works. I have. It seems like at some point I started looking into it, and a lot of times when you know what you're doing, it's they'll share it with you because you're right. Normal investigators may not have, they may not know that that's what they want to do in the next steps of their investigation, just depending on what kind of resources you have to start with, right? And so a lot of times they will just share it with Parabon Labs or whomever is going to do it. But as far as like how that works, I don't know. I personally feel like uh, there is no privacy in DNA evidence that's been uh, profiled in a lab on a suspected perpetrator, right? You don't have privacy to keep your DNA private after you've committed a crime, right? I, I agree. and But <laughs> so I, okay, so while we're talking even, I've started pulling up, how did North Carolina public records request, like, so I guess this is going to fall under 
product of an investigation that's open and ongoing. That's my guess. But the question yeah, but is, can you just get like the attention of one, you know, medical legal death investigator or one SBI crime scene say, tech? There's nothing secretive. There's nothing secretive about it. Like you just flat out say. What I'm saying is I want to know if they have language in the state legislature that prevents me an interested party from requesting a public record of that particular investigative material for the purposes of having another agency or a lab, as you described, comparing it. And then, you know, I just get my hands on it and I put it in gen mats. Like what kind of legal trouble can I get into? That's what I want to know. You can't get into any legal trouble for that. It, they don't have to give you the record. And so I feel like it would take more of a, uh, more than just like a request. I feel like you would have to explain yourself to the investigator. And actually the point of doing it from our particular position would be just encouraging the official to do it themselves. Right. Yeah. You want to be so specific in your request that they can basically usurp you. And you're telling them exactly what they need to do because the point here is not that we find out who the killer is. The point is that the killer is found. Right. And based on the information that is, you know, loosely sourced, <laughs> I mean, we don't have any idea if any of this I, is I would true. go as far as to say this is completely unsourced and unverified. Well, correct. And some of it was sprung at the last second there, especially the whole angel comp- composite. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what? It was just there. Um, so I read it. I was no, like, I, I know that. But we didn't. That wasn't part of the material we were going to cover. But it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is uh, the point of this would be uh, to lay out some instructions for somebody. Because I really feel like this case, if all of it, you know, taking taking it all at face value, if there was DNA all over her body, whether there's a profile yet or not, this case is solvable. That's what I was thinking. And so what I did was I reached out to her. I found the detective that most recently has this case. And I'm just going to, he's a sergeant there. I'm going to reach out to him and just say, hey, this is, I'm going to make a request. I'm going to make it formal because they have a public records process I found. I'm going to make it where I give him a copy of it and also go through the keeper of the record or keeper of the files there just to see what they say, because it's a really good idea that you had. And it's not my idea. Just to be clear, this is something that happens in investigations now. Cause look, cause I'm not seeking to identify a specific thing. It's not a work product. They won't identify the weapon cause it's too unique, but they might go as far as to say, huh, you know what? We don't know the answer to that. And we can't tell you. But they might go ahead and test it just for that because that's a cheap test. Right. And um, But that's your it, idea that you had that I don't know if they've done it. That's just based on my initial thought was one thing. As more information was presented, it switched to another thing. It ultimately, given the circumstances, we don't even have to speculate it, uh, speculate on it. I just am not sure 
how to make this happen exactly. I would say anything that you request, you know, you're not going to get in trouble for anything because it's their job to tell you no. Right. Yeah. No, no. Um, you, you can ask for whatever you want. It just, you know, I'm sure that you've I just gotten realized... over your fear of rejection through doing FOIA requests. So. Uh, uh, well, no, I, you know, I, with... <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, Texas took me down a notch or 12. Sometimes when you tell me stuff you're asking for, I'm like, why on earth does he think he's entitled to that? <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I hear it's Christmas time. I want a gift. No, seriously, I, I think that I'm really just trying to get somebody thinking a different way. Here's my gut. They've identified the perpetrator as a male. But it's got, it's got enough age on it that I might be wrong. My gut says they wouldn't test the husband, but I can't remember 1999. And and what what I'm finding as we're talking here, I don't know a lot about uh, the process, legally speaking, for genetic material uh, reports. Like what I do know is that investigators are more than willing to let you know genetic. Uh, forensic genetic genealogists do this stuff. Well, that's okay. That's where I'm sort of headed with, with this type of conversation here. Cause this is like a, this is like a really small, easy case on the surface. If there's DNA. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because you've had 22 years for somebody somewhere to have uploaded their DNA that happens to be related to this person. Well, so I'm thinking a good public records request might get this, going the right direction. Even if they tell me no, I don't care about the no. I just want to know that they had somebody mention it. Like, it's not something I would want to do surreptitiously. It would be something that people do in a job. Like, it's actually their job. Investigators give them the profile and they go find the person. And here's the thing about that. Um, I feel like it's almost, uh, it's guilt-free investigation because you know what? The worst thing that happens is the person does another DNA test and you were wrong because there's actually, like, your DNA is never going to change. And I mean that hmm. the collective you. Like, my DNA is always going to be my DNA and it's never going to completely match anybody else on earth unless you are an identical twin, Okay. And so in the event that you do uh, genetic research based on uh, a suspect's genetic profile from their DNA left at the scene of a crime and public, uh, uh, publicly available DNA profiles, and you were to do research on it and, you know, make your findings and you're wrong, it's very easily proven that you're wrong because they just their DNA won't match at the end and you'll need to find the closest living relative that they have because that's how DNA works. But it, it's a pretty foolproof process. It it has taken leaps and bounds here recently. I I would say very confidently that you can mark my words that if this case in, does in fact have DNA like was expressed, it will in fact be solved by it at some point. Yeah, I just like cases to be closed. There's no reason for it not to be. Thank you for joining us. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at LabratiCreations.com, and you can still use the code CRIMEXS for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. 
You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram, at TrueCrimeXS. Or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252-365-5593. You can also reach us at Gmail at TrueCrimeXS at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at www.TrueCrimeXS.com. We'll see you next time. Boom, boom, boom.